John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Accessed entry 861.mk0640. Certificate number 18999. Officials General. That's, that would be the difference. That's what the general is referring to, Attorney General is referring to. Not official generals. That'll be a different show. Official generals, that was uh that was my burlesque troop. <laughs> is that right? Mm-hmm. It's a little little militaristic for well, uh... <laughs> a bunch of big guys doing burlesque. Like you're like the village people, but you're all just wearing the the uniforms of four different armed services. Yeah, just the tops. <laughs> There's the army guy, the navy guy, <laughs> the marine guy, the marine guy, and the air force guy. Air force guy. Well, no, five because there's space force did now. You, did you kick out the coast guard guy? No, no, no. Coast guard, coast guard guy is there. He's just he's just there to hold the navy guy's coat. No, 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 no. <laughs> Man, coast guard. People. I think a bunch of coast guard people just. Turned no, off the show. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course, you're your own branch of service. Kind of. We're actually going to get into that. Mm. There are more than five or even six, if you count Space Force, uniformed services. Oh, sure. There's the med- There's the uh, Surgeon's General. That's right. There's the... You're never going to guess the eighth. Uh, you could be the biggest... Poli- po- Postmaster General. You could be the biggest <laughs> policy wonk and not know what the eighth uniformed service is. Oh, no, no, no. Let me think. Let me think. I've got to know this. The eighth uniformed service... I mean, it's weird that the Surgeon General is part of a uniformed service. Yeah. But I guess we see him in an Admiral's uniform ever since C. Everett Coop tried it out. It's not the Park Service? No. It's the... I'm uh, I'm willing to bet you've never even heard of it. Okay, let's go. (laughs) What is it? Noah has a commissioned officer corps. Oh, I did know that. They're like the the fighting weathermen. Yes, of course. Or something. You know, because those Noah ships used to be parked... Down at the foot of the University of Washington. Sure. And I had a, actually a member of the Long Winters, Jonathan Rothman, worked up at NOAA. The one at Sandpoint? At Sandpoint, where the Sound Garden is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a very secure facility. It is now. I tried to take my niece to see the Sound Garden. It's been closed since COVID. Yeah. And you need an enhanced ID now. You can't even get on with a driver's license. Well, it was closed since 9-11. It was closed for many years after 9-11, but it finally reopened. Just a lot of people didn't know because it was closed on weekends. Oh. So you had to go there during NOAA office hours. What's funny is in the 90s, you know, you could just go up there and throw your bong water all over and, and who cares? Yeah, you walked across that bridge with um, that had like quotes from Moby Dick on it, yeah, I think. Yeah, How come Soundgarden didn't have a song about uh, uh, 
quotes from Moby Dick. Maybe they did. The Great Grey Shroud how, how of the well, Sea. How well do you how know, well the, do you know the, oeuvre? the work of Soundgarden? Why do we always talk about Soundgarden on this show now? <laughs> oh, they're the great American band. Remind me, because I can't remember what, did you take a language in high school? Yes. Which one? French. Ah. And I took Spanish in college. And in, is, I assume French is like Spanish and Italian, where I know in general, adjectives follow the nouns they modify, unlike in English. Is that the, is that typical in French? Oui, oui. Like, uh, like, uh, I have a yellow pencil. Uh, je, j'ai pencil yellow. You weren't really paying attention. <laughs> le, le, le crayon jaune or uh, something like that? I have zero idea how to speak any foreign language, but I can sit in a room where people are speaking a foreign language and mostly grok it. If you only speak English, you might think it's natural that a modifier would come before the word. That's how we say things. The yellow big, pencil. The big truck, the yellow pencil. But of course, it makes no sense at the, all. The because... happy gentleman. But yeah, what a weird... Why, why wait to see who you're talking about? Especially when there's a long list of them. The big, red, creeping... What? You're like, what? what? Bug? Ogre? Um, no, it turns out it was a, a vine. I guess or... we like building suspense in English through our, uh, through our many... Adjectives? Well, we talked last episode about how the Spanish languages use um, use the inverted question mark at the beginning of a sentence, and that is very helpful. Ah, a question is coming, as opposed to, you know, if you, if you have a run-on sentence and then a question mark at the end. I get this a lot because I read aloud to my daughter. Yeah. And you get three quarters of the way through a sentence and you realize your inflection is completely wrong. I've been doing a thing where I read out loud and then I, I, I actually have the character wrong. I have to kind of like skip ahead and be like, wait, 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 who's talking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, because do you do, do you do accents? Oh, I do all the voices. I do too. And that is often a problem where you're like, and then she said, Lord, I can't imagine. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. It's the colonel. You shouldn't and be reading. Said. Why are you reading Tennessee Williams to your poor daughter? <laughs> she needs to learn. In Spanish, it's most... Most common for adjectives to be placed after the verbs they modify. Mm-hmm. El, el lapis amarillo, the pencil yellow. Um, there are cases where you put it, the adjective first, but generally it's because if the adjective were placed second, it would have a slightly different meaning. Oh, you do you do sometimes put it second, but in order to convey something different. Yes. Well, sometimes, yeah, sometimes as an exception, it goes first, but that's because it would mean something different second. For example, un pobre mujer. Um, if you say uh, a poor woman, yes, uh, un mujer pobre is a is a poor woman in that she doesn't have money. Un pobre mujer is like an unfortunate woman. I see. Uh, the same with uh, el gran. We, but we don't make that distinction in English. Well, we we could she's by a, oh you oh she's a poor woman or she's a poor woman. She, yeah, she's a she's a poor woman. She's a yeah I guess. Oh, that poor woman. You oh, could say that, that woman, woman lives. That woman is grappling with poverty. Yes. That brave woman. That's not very succinct. No. You, you. That brave woman is grappling with poverty and is also sad because her husband left her. How would you say that? That poor, poor woman. You have to convey some kind of intersectionality. Yeah. The, yeah. The, in Spanish, it would be el pobre mujer pobre, la pobre mujer pobre. Right. Uh, you can say el gran escritor. That means the great writer. Or you could say el escritor grande, which means... The big writer. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, it's, uh-huh. but it's the same adjective and the same noun. Sure. In the same way, el vie, un viejo amigo is an old friend. An old friend. But that's, a, now that's uh, ambiguous in English. Right. But could, an amigo viejo is a, 
as an aged an friend, aged friend. Yes, an elderly friend, I guess. Uh, and actually that happens in, you know, I might ask you, Hey John, do we ever put the adjective after the noun in English? And you would probably say, I don't know. I, well, don't, I don't know if I can think of a case. She can. can. <laughs> it sure seems unlikely. Why am I speaking like Richard Nixon? <laughs> there are actually some fairly common cases where we do the romance language thing and we put the adjective after the noun, it just sounds so normal to us, we don't even hear it. What is it? Give uh, us an example. There's a few cases. The most common is for compound, in for many indefinite pronouns, especially compound indefinite pro- pronouns like someone or anywhere. Like, oh, did you uh, did you meet someone interesting? You would never say, did you meet interesting someone? <laughs> right, of course. You could. That, that would be consistent with, did you meet interesting people? But we just say, someone interesting. We say, anywhere good. Did you go anywhere good? Uh-huh. Um... Uh, and that just sounds normal to us. It's true in the case of uh, participles. It's uh, we often do it with um, when the adjective is a is a present or past participle, which is like um, all students entering. Okay. Uh, you know, you could say all entering students, but it, it kind of means something a little bit different. Yes. Uh, or you could, you know, uh, uh. Uh, one of the one of the options declined. You could also say one of the declined options, but it, there's a slightly different um, shade of meaning, or at least rhythm to the sentence. And are those holdovers from an earlier time in English language, or is that really uh, stylistic? I mean, you know, English is such a such a goulash of German and and Latin. Yeah, it's got both things. Yeah, and does is that a thing where the two influences collide? And it just sort of depends on where you're standing, or is it something that in Gaelic? Yeah, see, I don't. That's that's a good question. I don't know if in other kinds of Anglo-Saxon old, old Germanic languages would you put the adjective after the indefinite pronoun? Because uh, as we'll see, most of our exceptions to this, most of our post-positive adjectives, you're exactly right. Those they're direct borrowings from Norman French from the first century after the conquest when. Mm-hmm. Um, educated people in what would become Britain, in the British Isles. Right. It was still Britain. In 1069. Yeah, in 1066 and a half, Mm -hmm. and for the next century or so, educated people, including all the monarchs, spoke Norman French, and so they used a lot of borrowings. Uh, There's, In fact, we even have a few cases in English where it changes the meaning to put the adjective before or after the noun. You know, we often do it with... um, with adjectives that end with uh, the suffix like able or ible, mm-hmm. like um, you know, give me the best, give me the best uh, option available. Right, you I know, see. you could say the best available option, but uh, but it's it's common to put it after. And in some of these cases, like uh, I need to see the person, res- I you know, I need to see the person responsible. That means something different than I need to see the responsible person. It sure does. You know, uh, and we do the same thing with. Um, Words like uh, visible, like uh, every visible star is different than saying every star visible, because the second one is something that's vis- every star visible. It means to us right now, every and, visible star could be visible at any point. And do these do all these examples feel like slightly archaic or more formal to you? That's what's that's what's going to come next. Yes, because. 
the ones that come from the Norman, fr- I mean, these are just examples that, um, these might come from actually Latinate languages as well. You know, to say, were you in the proper city is different than saying, were you in the city proper? And I think my guess is that is a borrowing from Norman French, because a lot of these do sound slightly elevated or old-timey or archaic. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the ones that have survived us in English are for that very reason. Um, because it's communicating nuance, but nuance that, that but, you know, to ask, are you in the city proper, is a, is a level of nuance that feels like you almost wouldn't need it if you were living a simpler life. Right. Right? Like how... How would you need to ask that question? How would you ask that in plain language? Are you are, are you right in the city? Yeah. Are you like Are you in the city? Are you within city limits? Yeah. Are you in the city center? Yeah. But even uh, that city center, are you in the middle of town? Like, are you in the city proper? City proper does seem like you're trying to convey a level of uh you know, elevated speech, education, right. gentility. Even I guess the I guess are you in the proper city? You could just say, are you in the right city? So you see it a lot uh, when you still see it in uses that are trying to convey this kind of the the slight authority that comes with um, archaic speech. Like it's in poetry a lot. Longfellow's Forest Primeval or Milton's Paradise Lost. In fact, it it shows up in titles a lot like Paradise Lost. You know, it's Langston Hughes' A Dream Deferred or Shelley's Prometheus... Uh, unbound, you know, all, all these would work just fine. A, a, a deferred Langston Hughes is a deferred dream. The meaning is the same, but it doesn't have the same kind of um, emphasis or authority that it does if by just moving the punctuation to the end. A deferred dream seems uh, like one dream of many. Yes, it's it's every day. Whereas a dream deferred seems like the principal dream. It represents the platonic ideal of dreamness. Right. And it's been deferred. The same with Paradise Lost. You know, Lost Paradise is like, yeah, we had our own little Eden and it's gone. Sure, they paved a paradise <laughs> and put up a parking lot. Whereas Paradise Lost, the way that's phrased, means it's like the Ur-Paradise. It's, yeah. it's Eden. It's heaven. And, what, and how is... Is that just semantic i mean yeah. is it just conveyed it's just learned learned from mother to daughter yeah we're we're not there's nothing inherent about if you think about it this is a perfect example because it's the same two words yeah the order is clearly arbitrary but it has such a different effect on us just because of the assumptions we've all breathed in about how the language works and it's not reverberating uh in a kind of like i know a foreign language way because Not it's at all. proper English. You don't hear Paradise Lost and think, oh, that sounds like slightly... So French. Yeah, slightly uh, cosmopolitan or or even broken English. So it ends up being something that's communicated by... So you hear it for the first time from someone speaking in an elevated way, and it it resonates with you as like, ah, this is, this is smart people talk. It seems official, which I think is why a lot of organizational titles use it. Would you go to Anonymous Alcoholics? Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Like once you I wouldn't. Once you hear it both ways, you're like, well, of course, organizations put the adjective, but it's so weird. You would never do that in any other. If you were to say, it's a place where it's a gathering for Alcoholics Anonymous. Then if you say it in a sentence, it sounds like you're um, writing a sonnet about sure, it. Sure, sure. But in the name of the organization, it sounds perfectly right. Amnesty International. Uh 
what else? Workers United. It just it, it, somehow it just gives it an official imprimatur. It really does that it wouldn't have. It really does, and it and it does feel at that point literary rather than functional, right? It it's it um, workers united and united workers. Yeah, one sounds so prosaic. Yeah, and just like oh, it's just a bunch of maybe that's because people it's, milling around because it's the less common structure. It's uh, it becomes distinctive. It's you know? branding. It really is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the abbreviation would still be AA. Sure. So you know, you could you could still say that. Sure, but I mean, there are a lot of things you could call AA. Friends uh, of Bill. Ants archaic. <laughs> the the fact that it was uh, used, it came to us. A lot of these constructions came to us via the Normans. Mean they stuck around longer in fields and specialties where. Um, you know, the educated Norman French stuck around longer or was more embedded in the, the terms of art. For example, medicine. Uh, yes. You know, all the, all the sciences, uh, you know, all the, actually all the specialized professional fields, even religion, for example, sure. you know, you have cleric speaking Latin and then Norman French. That's why we have life everlasting or God almighty. We can still say everlasting life or almighty God, but it doesn't sound weird to us to do the, the post-positive order there. You know, the people that I hear this most from is alchemists. I Every time I'm talking to a group of alchemists, I'm like, get your word order straight. I must take my <laughs> my ointment purple and mix it with my elixir uh, royal. Uh, heraldry, I mean, you're joking, but heraldry is, is, a, is a place where all the adjectives tend to come after. You know, if you describe somebody's coat of arms, it's going to have a bend sinister right. with a lion passant. Or a dragon rampant. Uh, I think rampant is when you're up on your forelegs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I never. I don't know what all the things mean. But heraldry is. It's uh, a rar. <laughs> that's right. A lion rar. Um, royalty, of course. We mentioned it was you know what the kings of uh, of uh, the Norman dynasty would have spoken, and that's why we still have phrases like the prince regent, right? The queen consort. Even the idea that we put regnal numbers and titles after. You know, Ivan the Terrible or Henry the Eighth. You know, there's no reason it couldn't be the Terrible Ivan or the Eighth Henry, but but it's just borrowed from from the way that uh, the original king spoke. Cuisine. You know, we get a lot of our recipes from Romance languages, so it's it's veal parmesan and spaghetti bolognese. Not um, give me some of that bolognese spaghetti, right? Or taco supreme. You know, like it's just uh, you know you. It conveys something. It's nicer than a, a Supreme Taco sounds weird. Yeah, a I don't want a Supreme Taco, but I do want a Taco Supreme. It seems like a Supreme Taco might like curtail voting rights, whereas a Taco Supreme just has sour cream on it. But it's interesting that we would say that um, we would say that about a taco, that it's a Taco Supreme, but we would not say that person delivered unto me an insult supreme. <laughs> right. You know, like it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't it, sound like Shakespearean, right? No, it didn't go all the way uh, to permeate our language. It's really located, it's reserved for... Uh, Titles? Yeah, and yeah. coinages that are much closer to uh, to Norman French or to to r- romantic culture. When, when we hear Burger Supreme or Taco Supreme, it kind of conveys, you know, mid-20th century. A Burger Royale. <laughs> but we still don't... Uh... You're right, with cheese. But it still doesn't sound, it still has some kind of cool official sounding brand. Yeah. It doesn't sound medieval. No, but it sounds like a subdivision outside of of Philadelphia. Law is another common one where these Norman French terms stuck around. And again, they just sound official. Malice aforethought. Not 
court court martials, notaries public. Um, a, a lot of times they're just phrases that stuck around because they became cliches, time immemorial, an heir apparent, to trip the light, fantastic. You know, these, these just only survive in a single context. Um, and there are some adjectives that always go after uh, a noun, even in English where that's unusual. Uh, emeritus, for example. He's a, he's a, a diplomat emeritus. He's a professor emeritus. Uh, or galore or extraordinaire. You, you, it's not grammatically correct to say, uh, we've got galore flowers or uh, my wife is an extraordinaire chef. You know, those, those words have to come after. It's funny because I have had time immemorial on my list of potential um, omnibus topics. Oh, really? For a long time, because just the concept of time immemorial and the way it's been used throughout history. What does that mean, even? Unremembered? Or uh, bef before there were memorials to things? So before we have records? Yeah, right. A, a time stretching to infinity or time, time into the darkness of time. Does it include, would you say the present day is part of time immemorial? I no. guess I shouldn't. I shouldn't uh, give it away if you're going to do an entry on this. Well, yeah, I mean, we're kind of traipsing around it, but uh, but yeah, it's it's here kind of, it's right in between laugh tracks and oral rehydration therapy on my list of of potential show ideas. So you're not alphabetical, I guess. No, no. Do you keep your show topics alphabetical? No, I keep them chronological, but the problem then is it's always just like last in, first out. You know, there's stuff I, I wrote months ago that I... I can't even remember what it means anymore, whereas the thing I thought of last week is what goes in. Probably the single uh, most common use of post-positive adjectives in English, the one field that just loves them to death, is politics. Right. We still say the body politic as kind of a highfalutin way to, to, to refer to political processes and bodies. It's so proximate to law. Yes. And law. And royalty. And royalty. And law and royalty... Really, the the Normans really brought the hammer down in terms of. I mean, if you think about, yeah, all the all of our laws are derived from that period. English common law is yeah, uh, yeah the basis for a lot of American law. And do you remember the recent kerfuffle over, um, you know, don't call Biden president? A kind of a right wing talking point. We don't call Biden president elect. That term is nowhere to be found in in actual legal documents. President elect is a postpositional adjective. You know, right. the chosen president, the elected president, but not yet. What uh, What did the conservatives want to call President Biden when he was— I think they wanted to call him President Trump. It just didn't work out. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Um, there are examples like—I uh, mean, this is going to sound very old-timey, but uh, Envoy Extraordinary and Minister Plenipotentiary. I love those titles, but they always feel very Turkish. Yes, They feel right? Ottoman. Right? But that's not true. They were used in Western Europe. In fact, they were used, I think, up until kind of modern kind of Congress of Vienna times, or actually maybe more like League of Nations, United Nations times, kind of democratized the relationships between nations. Because what that conveyed back in the day was, you know, we only send our ambassador to the good countries. Right. Everybody else gets an envoy extraordinary and minister plenipotentiary. He has the full power of the, of the head of state or the sovereign. He just doesn't represent... That, he's, like, not, he's not able to make his own decision in those moments. I mean, the ambassador is supposed to be as if yeah. the king is standing there. The ambassador doesn't have to call home and ask. Yeah, and he has the full power to do all the things the king can do. He just does not the embodiment of the king in the same way. I always wanted to be a minister without portfolio. Wouldn't that be great? It just seems like exactly the right job for me. It seems 
incredibly easy. Yeah, right. I mean, all those other guys are working. They have portfolio. They're always working through their portfolio. That seems like they've got an inbox. Um, Minister Plenipotentiary, however, is not entirely uh, out of date. Uh, Or The island of Aruba still has uh, a minister plenipotentiary. Uh, In fact, all the, the Dutch... West Indies, Aruba and Curaçao, they send a minister plenipotentiary to whatever kind of uh, council is in charge, in, you know, in the Netherlands is in charge of the Dutch overseas territories. Right. Because they are still colonial possessions. Yes. Yeah. And so that's the, I think, the only place in the world where minister plenipotentiaries are still used when these Aruban and Curaçao and diplomats report Suriname. home. Report home to, uh, yeah, I guess formerly, I guess Suriname's independent now. But before, oh, okay. when it was still Dutch Guiana, it would have had a minister plenipotentiary. But by far the most common use of post-positive adjectives, as we've already uh, alluded to in political life, is the blank general. The word, the adjective general appearing after titles. Right. The United Nations has a secretary general. Uh, former, uh, many different... Uh, more common during colonial times, uh, many colonial possessions had had or have governors general because mm-hmm. that's the thing about these you you pluralize them pluralize the you first pluralize the noun right you know course. but but often some of these ambiguities you know because we now use general as a noun and we'll get to that you know it, it kind of sounds as if it, it sounds just as good to say surgeon generals surgeon generals yeah as it does to say surgeons general. But, you know, the rule in English would be you pluralize the noun, not the adjective, but not, that has not be- the second thing. But that has become one of the real signifiers that you are a fancy lad to say, to insist on saying surgeon's general. Like it almost became a, um, like a Bob's Burgers level of uh, something that you would put in the mouth of a character that you wanted to mock. To sound pedantic, yeah. not, not just erudite, but pedantic. Surgeons general. But uh, yeah, we're at the point where, it, because these things are only seen in phrases, court marshals sounds just as good as courts martial. Yeah. And well, I, better. Or, I mean, at least uh, we've talked a lot in our grammar episodes about how colloquial language is socially leveling or, you know, that a lot of these- And it's all arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary. I mean, if you, right? if you hyphenate court martial, which I think is the most common English usage now- then why not just pluralize the uh, the 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 second part of the co- what's essentially now just a compound noun? Um, the British when the British Commonwealth, uh, each individual territory was uh, run by a governor general, a representative of the monarch, and that continued to be true even after independence. You know, there's a governor general. Of New Zealand, you know, because you know the, the Queen of Eng- Queen Elizabeth is still the Queen of uh, Barbados and the Queen of Australia and the Queen of all these former possessions, right? Um, and she's represented; she can't be there. There's not that many of her, and no. it, uh, she's an old lady now. And they'd have to get on that BOAC jet from the Crown if they were going to do the tour, right? With seven engines or whatever, <laughs> right. look like a very nice plane to fly in. Where they they sit. Uh, they sit at the little uh, kind of Air Force One-like table and their spouse kind of is sullen about having to go on the trip. Uh-huh. Sitting across the way. Yeah. Glowering. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, what's his name from Outlander? Glowers at you. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- it seems kind of old-timey, but uh, 
Canada still has a governor general. You know, the Queen of England has an official residence in Ottawa, Rideau Hall. And in her absence, there's a governor general who lives there. And he, like the Queen, he has constitutional duties. You know, it's his job in Canada to, you know, call for an election or dissolve a government or give his assent or her assent to a to a cabinet. Um, and they have ceremonial duties as well, like the Queen does. I think in practice, the gov- you know, the governor general is essentially a rubber stamp, kind of by common acclaim, you know, he or she just does all those things without any input on their own part. And they, you know, they defer to the elected, you know, by when they choose a cat, you know, it's on in the constitution, they're still choosing the cabinet, but they defer to the election. You know, they're still the supposed to want to appoint a prime minister, but they defer to the party that won the power. When you say governor general, do you, is the general an adjective meaning applying to all, or is a general a noun meaning the rank of general? No. What you've got to remember here is the secretary general of the UN is not both a secretary and a military general. They're just... The general secretary. The United Nations has many secretaries, but only one whose authority is general to the whole organization. And why do we say general secretary about the Russian General. Oh, that's interesting. Because I guess in in Slavic languages, <laughs> it's uh, the adjective comes first. I wonder if there's some attempt to to um, to distinguish between the two. A Cold War vestige of not giving the UN guy the same title as the uh, Soviet guy, as the guy who's running Albania, China, or the Soviets. Right. Um, the governor of there's a tradition in Canada. This is not constitutional, but there's a tradition of alternating the governor general between. Uh, uh, Anglophone and Francophone uh, candidates. Do you know who the Governor General of Canada is right now? No. Sometimes they solve the alternation with um, with a bilingual one. But actually, this is the craziest story. There's uh, there is no Governor General of Canada right now due to a huge scandal. Oh, uh, how exciting! The, the Governor General of Canada was for many years Hugh Hefner. A woman named Julie Payette, who was a, a a Canadian engineer and former astronaut. She's been to space two or three times. How great. She's a, a, a an astronaut. She was the Governor General of Canada. But unfortunately, uh, she Turns apparently out. is tough to work with. She would throw tantrums and maybe staplers, you know, kind of Scott Rudin, Amy Klobuchar-like uh, stuff. But I'm I'm tough to work with. Nobody's ever taken my titles away. Oh wait, <laughs> you're not King Neptune anymore, are you? <laughs> no, but she exactly had. Apparently, there's a. It's a matter of public record who gets the most, which offices of government get the most harassment complaints, and the governor general's office has been in the top three for her whole term. And uh, often after trips, she would get together with her whole staff on the plane and tell them all what they did wrong in turn, and people would just leave in tears. So, uh, I believe she's now, uh, yeah, she is now resigned and she's been succeeded just by an interim governor general until a new permanent one is chosen. And this is, uh, you know, essentially the, because in the queen's absence, she's the head of state of Canada So uh, she because she's, the prime minister Trudeau is only the head of government. She's basically the buddy rich of Canada. In what way is she the buddy Richard just, Canada? Just yelling at her band. I guess. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so what, they just took her away, but they didn't replace her with somebody? It seems like there'd be a lot of people standing around with cravats on 
waiting to be the governor general of Canada. There's usually, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's just in process right now. This happened very recently. Oh. She, she resigned in late January 2021, just oh. a couple couple months before we were recording this. So in the last two months, they have not installed a a, uh, a, a new... permanent successor. So there's an interim governor general, and she's still being investigated for her apparent alleged harassment. Hmm, I see. Um, many other powers have had governor generals. Uh, or governors general. Sorry. I did it wrong. <laughs> they have had governors general. Uh-huh. Uh, Japan, uh, you know, appointed one over its ter- uh, its colonial territories, Korea, and whichever parts of uh, China or Southeast Asia it was controlling. Now, in Korean, do they put the adjective <laughs> in front or behind the noun? or the, How do they modify nouns? Well, that's a good question. I think the modifier comes after. The weird thing about Korean is the vowel always comes last mm. in the sentence. So you get everything out of the way. All these... Um, you know, every kind of prepositional phrase or, or participial thing that we would kind of string together after the noun, you kind of do at the beginning and then there's the subject and then there's the verb. Oh, then there's a subject and then the verb is, is the last thing that happens. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I guess they really like the suspense. Yeah, I'll say. And what do they do? Because by that time, you know, when they did it, you right. know, you know who they did it to, you know, all the stuff that we would put after. And that's. You know, other there are romance languages that do that as well. It's a good salary, though. Oh, I guess I don't know why I wrote this down, but the Governor General of Canada gets one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and it's thought that Payette resigned in order to keep her uh, her sinecure, her, to keep her her lifetime payment. Oh, is that you, so? You get it even after you leave office. Oh, well done. Father's Day is coming up, John. Hooray! That's that's coming up real soon. What is it you're hoping to uh, receive this year from your? Loved I ones? just want solitude. But, for, uh, for Father's but, Day? but that's never what you get for you Father's Day. Just want to be left alone. Nope, you always get more, more of unsolitude. What's the opposite of solitude? Unsolitude. Solicitude. I just said it. My father is still with us, so yes. I need to get him a Father's Day present. Does he know that Father's Day is here? Does he care? Is it a thing that he's that he registers? I feel like I always call. I make an effort. That's nice. It, it does seem a little. Obligatory. You don't make enough effort to go out to Port Townsend where he lives. Our, our hearts are not really in it. We I sort see. of feel like the calendar has told us to do a quick call. Right, right. Two dads just dadding it up on the phone. Um, but your folks give you, or your people, by which I mean your wife and children, they celebrate Father's Day for you, don't they? I used to get cute hand-drawn cards. That's all I want. I see. But if you're looking for a Father's Day gift. Okay, go on. Might I recommend yes. a Hello Tushy uh, modern bidet attachment? Oh, about, what says what says a dad more than a think bidet? About, think about how your parents used to change your diaper. It's, yep. it's time to return the favor with a uh, Hello Tushy 3.0. Help your dad clean his undercarriage. Oh, okay. All right. The I way, see. The way he helped you for years. Sure, sure, sure. My dad probably never once changed a diaper. Yeah. I was born in 1968. It's a generational issue, He I think. sat out on the porch and smoked a cigar. But yeah, Sure. Well, maybe you should get your mom a Father's Day present of a Hello Tushy 3.0 modern bidet attachment with the smart spray automatic self-cleaning nozzle. Well, tell me more about this Hello Tushy bidet attachment. Does it come with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty? What an oddly specific question. Luckily, the answer is yes, it comes with both those things. So it's low risk if you've never tried one of these before. But I think I use one and I think you're going to like it. it. You can just put it right on your toilet. It doesn't use any electricity. Extra electricity or extra plumbing. There's no tech support. You just 
don't use toilet paper anymore. There's a better way. Now, if I wanted to give the gift of Hello Tushy, would I go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus and get 10% off free shipping? If you were to go to that URL, hellotushy.com slash omnibus, you would get 10% off plus free shipping. It's a special offer for our listeners. That's hellotushy.com slash omnibus. The U.S. has only had one, ever appointed one governor general in its history. Do you know where we set a governor general? What Tonga. Guess? No. Uh, Philippines. There you go. Yes. Yeah. After the Spanish-American War, uh, the U.S. was represented in the Philippines by, it's kind of our, our little dipping our, our toe into the old school kind of colonialism sure. instead of just sending down guys to knock over governments or sending in fruit companies to... Yeah, our sense of the Philippines was that we were there to liberate them from the Spanish by absolutely, perfectly duplicating uh, duplicating (laughs) the Spanish. The only country that still has governors general today internally as an actual uh, domestic office is Iran. Uh, It's it's unrelated to the Commonwealth use, but it's just a, a name for kind of a regional or provincial, I think, representative to the... To the federal government, there may be not not too different from our governors. Um, of course, in the U.S., we have, uh, and also the U.K. has a paymaster general as a cabinet level officer who kind of is in charge of all the. Um, it started out as a military office, as you might guess, but it's kind of become all government accounts. Maybe it's kind of analogous to the U.S. Treasurer, but the U.S. government has no shortage of. Officials general with general following the job title. Um, you know, in the Army and the Navy, you have judge advocates general. Uh, in the diplomatic corps, in the State Department, uh, you have consuls general. Mm-hmm. You know, cities that don't have an embassy might have a consulate. Mm-hmm. You know, we, the U.S. would have representation in other major world cities that don't happen to be the capital. And... Uh, you know, multiple officials at those consulates might be consuls, but the one in charge of the whole consulate is the consul general. Right. Um, Seattle's big enough that we have some foreign consulates. We have right? a Korean one. Yeah, the Harvard Exit Movie Theater, which I used to love, got taken over by, I think, the Mexican consulate. Uh-huh. I, for some reason, when I was looking this up, I wound up on the page of Ireland's uh, various consulates in the U.S., and they have ones in places that would not surprise you, New York and Boston and so forth. Right. You know, a lot of it is places where citizens abroad might need help. You know, if you're if you're a, a lost Irishman in Miami, it doesn't do you any good to call the embassy because it's in Washington, D.C., uh, a thousand miles away. I've been to some consulates in Seattle. I mean, I've been to a lot of consulates over the years. Parties. Just parties. Cocktail parties. Just like playing, you know, playing in the band. Um, but I've been to consulates here for some reason. I think I would think I was taking someone to a consulate in order to get there. And it might have even been the Irish one, to get something with their visa. If it was Seattle, it was not the Irish oh, one. Oh, okay. Because was, uh I don't remember what it was. What was your consulate experience? Did they take care of, of you and your... Uh, no, I mean, I sat your, in the lobby while my friend did whatever they were going to do. You're, you're calling your mail order bride a friend, and I think that's yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, she was a very good friend for a brief period. Thank you, Sonia. <laughs> Shout out to you. Uh, I, I know it can't be the Irish consulate because uh, Seattle was listed on I, the uh, government, the Irish, whatever Ireland's 
State Department is, uh, whatever its diplomatic corps is. It was listed as a city that has an honorary consul, and it's just um, some guy named O'Brien in Edmonds. Oh, you let's could, go I, visit him. That's what I'm wondering. It's, I think it had his address. Like, <laughs> like, does that mean just some guy out in the burbs? Like, there's some guy in suburban Houston who's the honorary Irish consul, and if you're in trouble, he'll be like, I will take care of you. <laughs> of course, his name is O'Brien. His real name is Jones. Yeah, but, he had to change it. Yeah, that's his title. It's probably not even an Irish guy, you know? Right. Like you go there. It's and a Filipino guy. It's just guy. some Greek guy, Filipino <laughs> guy, black guy. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good gig though. Come on in. Uh, top of the morning. The most common uh, official general in the U.S. government is uh, the inspector general, of which many branches of government have one. More common than the surgeon general. Well, there's only one surgeon general. Oh, I see. But there are multiple there inspectors There are dozens of inspectors general, general in the U.S. government right now because- Every big department agency or organization has its own. The inspector general is in charge of kind of internal vigilance to make sure an agency is administering its own rules correctly. It's like the uh, it's like the the cops that look after cops. Internal affairs. Yeah, everybody but, hates those guys. But they don't work for the attorney general. They are they work for the head of the agency. That's right. Like if you're a inspector general in some subdivision, I'm sure Noah has an inspector general, and that guy works for. The Secretary of Commerce, because Noah's in the Commerce Department. He does not work for the... Because the Attorney General is just one kind of official general. You know, uh, the U.S. Post Office, still run by a Postmaster General, mm -hmm. even though it's, what, it's a it's run as a private enterprise now and not as a as a branch of government the way huh. it was when... Don't get me started. Ben Franklin was the Postmaster General. We've mentioned the Surgeon General, who is the head of the... Commissioned Corps of the United States Public Health Service, which is confusing. You know, you'd think, you know, we have a Secretary of Health and Human Services. Why do we have this guy running the Commissioned Corps of the Public Health Service? But he's, you know, he's the uh, the head guy in the federal government on all public health issues who reports to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. It's funny. I, I went to, I, uh, one of my friends from high school went to medical school and uh, it was paid and he basically joined the Surgeon General's, the, the medical corps. The public health service. And they paid for his medical school. Right. And then he entered in to this commissioned officer corps. And at my last high school reunion, which was, what, 30-year 30, 30 high school reunion, um, we were talking, and he apparently is a colonel, like the level right. of colonel, but he's a doctor, and I was like, how often do you wear your colonel uniform? And he was like, sometimes you have to wear, you have to actually dress the part. But there are uh, ceremonial occasions when he's expected to show up in, well, everybody thought it was funny when in the Reagan era, C. Everett Koop wore his, he, the, uh, he's a vice admiral, the, the head of, he or she, the head of the, uh, the Surgeon General, the head of the Public Health Service Commission Corps, is a vice admiral because it has ranks. I mean, apparently there's colonels, if your friend's any indication. Yeah. But apparently it's run by a an admiral, not a general. So he has this kind of naval-looking uniform. And no no Surgeon General had worn his ceremonially in a generation, apparently, when Coop decided he would. And he was be between the uniform and kind of the weird Uncle Sam beard, plus the fact that he was uh, a, a very visible voice on... 80s era issues like abortion and AIDS. You know, he had a higher profile than really than any surgeon general before or since. He really was uh he really was a public figure. 
just but yeah, mostly because of his odd facial hair. They look like Navy uniforms. Yes. All, all of them. He's a vice admiral, man. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it would be incorrect to call the Surgeon General general because he or she is an admiral. Uh, there are director generals in many big NGOs and government organizations. I think the only director general in the U.S. government is the one who runs the United States Foreign Service. There's also a controller general. Do you, do you say comptroller or do you say controller? What are I you say, say comptroller. Don't you? It comes from the. I think controller is. I it, guess in a in a business, I say controller, but it's supposed. I think it's supposed to look like comptroller, you know, due to its French origin, but be pronounced controller. But because it looks like comptroller, it's okay to say comptroller. I the the times that I say comptroller, it's always to do with a university. Right, like a company has a controller, but a university has a comptroller. Well, that's weird. It should well, be. Well, maybe I just invented that. It should be the other way around because, you know, company has the comp in it. Oh, huh. Like what the do you know? he's the troller of the whole company. He's the comptroller. There you go. Uh, the U.S. government has a controller general. That's the guy that runs the general accounting office. Created in the 20s, kind of the Harding era. Our modern budget process started with these 20s era budget acts that created the whole idea of how. The legislature passes a federal budget, and there's got to be an internal agency to, uh, you know, be in charge of those books, and that's where the Office of Controller General was born. I'm just realizing that my doctor friend, when he said that he was the rank of a colonel, he was saying that in order to communicate it to me because— He's he really a captain. A, he was putting in army terms for you, but it's it's naval ranks. Yeah, it would be naval ranks, right? He would oh, be a captain, not a not a colonel, unless. That's some little trick that they play at the, the health corps. I mean, it kind of makes sense for NOAA, for the NOAA commissioned corps, the weird ape one, to have um, to have nautical sounding ranks because the O is for oceanic. But really, for a public health service, do they need to sound watery? Oh, uh, I, mean, I, I, guess... I, I think I would imagine most of them are on land most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Probably. They're not in submarines that much. No. What do you think Space Force, are, do, are the ranks in Space Force... Uh, Army-like or Navy-like? They've got to be Air Force-like. Which would make them Army-like, right? Army-like, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but except really, for except not privates, airmen. But that's a problem. That's a problem because, uh, you know, the Star Trek view of the future is that... It's a Navy. Yeah, it's admirals and captains all the way down. There's, right. You've got those little pipes when, when Captain Kirk comes aboard. Well, it's true that a spaceship is a ship. It's a ship. But that, see, this is, I think, the classic lack of imagination about Space Force because— We'll just make it the Air Force, but higher. The thing is, the Air Force is always trying to come up with reasons to exist. Well, the Air Force should have been given space then. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. They're by far the closest to space of any of the eight uniformed services. Like, the Air Seven. Force was in charge of nuclear missiles. Right. But that's a very tenuous— Connection. Are, do you know Air, Air Force people? Are they pissed about Space Force because they just lost? They now they have a ceiling on their uh, on their sphere of influence. I my my sense is that Air Force people can choose to go to Space Force. Um, I, I suppose if you were in the Navy and you wanted to go to Space Force, you could too. But like, I think at the you have Air to Force, put yourself in a cannon though. Well, right. <laughs> if you no no no, there are more UFOs living under the ocean than anywhere else can. Obviously, all in you have the, to do is just in, hitch a ride in the Hollow Earth. <laughs> Uh, so no, I think if you're at the Air Force Academy now, like if you go to the Naval Academy, you have to choose between the Marines and the Navy. Okay. And I think if you're at the Air Force Academy now, you can choose Space Force. It's, I don't know why you would. I'm, I'm going to minor in Space Force. I think I, I'm going to hedge my bets. I think they should have just elevated NASA to become a, a sure a military service. 
Yeah, exactly. Why doesn't NASA have a uniformed core? Yeah, why doesn't why don't they trade off governors general? Why are there NOAA guys in in uniforms with with funny braids, but astronauts don't necessarily uh, get them? Astronauts are all Navy pilots. Well, they all came from. <laughs> no, came I, from I, the Navy I think I think the uniform of NASA is a short sleeved white button down shirt with a pocket protector in it. <laughs> that should be the that should be the thing. You should be a vice admiral if you know your pocket the size of your pocket protector uh, uh, should convey your uh, rank and valor. Yeah. I guess Star Wars kind of equivocates, right? The Imperial, uh, the Imperials have um, admirals running the Star Destroyers, but they also have generals, presumably landing the the land forces as well. Boy, you know a lot more about Star Trek than I do. Well, there's what's his name, Captain Whatever, sees his admiral get force strangled at the beginning of Empire, and then he becomes an admiral. What are we talking about now? <laughs> Is this Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars. The so-and-so saw his what do the who? Captain, you know, Darth Vader, you know, he's always killing off his officers, right? Sure, 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 sure. So he takes out Admiral whatever, and then Captain whatever is suddenly Admiral now. Well, but Captain is a rank in the Navy. Yes, but there's also generals. Oh, of course. One of those guys in the conference room with Tarkin in Star Wars is a general, and the guy that lands his AT-ATs on Hoth is a general. Okay, well, that makes sense, right? You would have... Yeah, I guess the the navy is carrying the army to the to the next planet to colonize. That's what they do, or they could be the marines, the imperial marines, although they never say that. Do they have marines in Star Wars? That's the that's the ultimate question. Oh, if man. if you are a soldier being transported on a navy ship, I think the navy carries army, but the guards on a navy ship are marines. We're going to get so many letters from people explaining the exact ranks well, of the yeah. Imperial. All the people that have watched military. every episode of Rebels and Clone Wars are going to yell at us about not realizing that Admiral Dooku was a what yeah, what's, was what, a whatchamacallit. Is Count Dooku a vice admiral? He's kind of got that coop-like beard. Anyway, that brings us to the two officials general of the U.S. government that uh, I'm most interested in. Officials general. I like that. Because they, are, uh, the, in the, they serve in the Justice Department. There's the Attorney General, of course. Even though he's in the cabinet, he is not the Secretary of Justice, because that would sound too much like a maybe a, a comic book character. Secretary of Justice. Se- that sounds like Judge Dredd or something. Well, but the problem is that once they established the Department of Homeland Security, nothing, it was like the death of irony. Nothing could be more ridiculous sounding than that. Nothing could sound more uh, uh, Third Reichian. Yeah. So, I mean, why not just have a Secretary of Truth? We, yeah, we already have all the other Orwellian... Uh, but there's also the Solicitor General. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who serves in the Justice Department. And he is the primary prosecutor? Yes, he litigates in front of the, or she litigates in front of the Supreme Court. Right. And the interesting thing I have found, which I did not know about the Attorney General and the Solicitor General, is that there is a 80s era trend, you know, since the 1980s, they have commonly been called General. Oh, what? Like as oh. if it were a title. You know, at at uh, you know, this, when the attorney general testifies in front of Congress, it's not unusual to have senators direct the questions to General Reno or General Ashcroft or General uh, Barr or who's an Obama or General Holder, uh, as if that was their rank. It's common at the Supreme Court when you want the Solicitor General to to make an argument, you call him or her General Olson. Interesting, as if they were. Military generals, which is to me seems super weird. Well, you remember that you remember that episode of The West Wing when Josh Lyman is at the hospital 
uh, because uh, President uh, Garfield has been shot or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, he gets shot. He he gets he takes a bullet in an assassination attempt. And I'm Josh Josh Lyman is is in the hospital and he's trying to you know he's trying to throw his weight around. And I remember, and I'd, maybe I have this episode completely wrong, but I remember at one point Josh Lyman says, "You know, I have the GSA equivalent rank of Lieutenant General or something like that." Is that even true? Well, the I, White House staffers have equivalent military ranks. It always stuck in my head because it seemed implausible that the the deputy White House chief of staff would, as a political appointee, have a, an equivalent military yeah, rank. That's not a chart. Because you could be there for six months and get fired, and then for six months, are you like you, you get to go on the PX and and uh, get I all the DVDs you want? I still got my military ID. Do I get to board first? What are you looking it up? What every, every time I look this up, the most of the references are to Josh Lyman and not to real chiefs of staff. Right. Oh, you've looked this up before? No, I'm just oh. looking it up right now. But all the oh, here we go. State Department protocol. There are State Department protocols. That uh, have a kind of precedence. This is an order of precedence. Yes, that that would put uh, civilian authorities like a like a White House administration staffer uh, in a receiving line yes. or something. And in his protocol, I guess the deputy chief of staff is indeed higher than a three star general. Right, and it's a way of for ex- communicating like civilian authority. This is per some. This is per a White House reporter who says that, for example, a National Security Council. Uh, senior director is the equivalent of a two-star, a flag officer, a general, or, or whatever a two-star admiral is called. Uh-huh. Um, if if Josh is actually the assistant to the president, he would be two ranks above that. So that's more like a four-star general. Wow. Maybe. Or a or a, what's what's that kind of admiral called? Fleet admiral. What's a what's the equivalent of a four-star general? Yeah. Well, full admiral. Full admiral. Right. That's weird. But there's no such. Um, uh, equivalence between the solicitor general, just the the lawyer who argues cases, but in front of the Supreme Court, there would be no reason for that person to have any equivalency to a. We'll look it up. Where are they in the order <laughs> of precedence? I don't know. Let's see. Solicitor I- general is the solicitor general a real general? Signed Ken Jennings, dear Santa, is the solicitor general? Oh, this, my real mommy. This state.gov protocol page has now moved how much do we care about this do i have to find it <laughs> well it's the it's it's the point you're making the order of precedence of the united states of america the solicitor general does appear here uh they are a 23b which would make them equivalent to the head of a federal departmental agency for example the fbi oh. they're as good as the head of the fbi or the faa hot diggity that puts them just behind level 22, which is, this is insane, <laughs> which is the chairman of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve and the commissioner of the Social Security Administration. You're behind them. But good news, you're ahead of the twenty level 24 people, which would be a retired joint chief of, ch- chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Who still has some... Yes, a retired chairman is still uh, a head, head of um, independent agencies, like a retired joint chief of staff is ahead of the current head of the, say, Peace Corps well, or sure. FCC <laughs> or U.S. International Trade Commission. Now, I wonder how often— The Postmaster General, by the way, is 25, but just behind those guys. I wonder how often in American history you find a situation where 
five guys are standing around in the hallway at the White House, and right. they're all BSing about something, and somebody pulls rank on somebody else. Because they all surely must know. We need to do a show just about this order of precedence because it's insane. Number one, president. Number two, vice president. Number three, before any of the people who could actually inherit those offices, a state governor, when it's your own state. Oh, no kidding. If you're in Montana, yeah, you're the, the governor of Montana. Then the governor of Montana is ahead of the Speaker of the House, the Chief Justice. 6A, former presidents and their widows. Huh. And their widows. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. Or their widows. I guess uh, so this you get is, replaced by your spouse that outlives you. This is the type of thing where if you are in a, the receiving line of, uh, when the queen visits. Yes. And you're the wife of a vice or a wife of a president. You're sixth in line after. Yeah. Nancy Reagan, as she survived, would be ahead of um, the ambassador at post, which is seven. But, and, but behind the governor of Missouri, yes. if this was in Missouri. Yes. But since we don't have any embassies in Missouri, both those rules cannot both be in play. I see. Uh, this is You can tell it's a State Department document because the Secretary of State is ahead of, several steps ahead of the rest of the cabinet. It goes <laughs> Secretary of State, then UN officers, if in session, if, if applicable, then ambassadors, then the rest of the Supreme Court, then retired chief justices, then retired other justices, then the rest of the cabinet. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. And the, then the cabinet goes in order of... And uh, no one from Congress in that list, even Speaker of the House. Speaker of the House has been, has been fourth, but nobody yet until oh, right after the right after the um, cabinet and other cabinet level officials, which means EPA, OMB, et cetera, CIA, then, then you get President Pro Tem of the Senate. Then you get Senate Majority Leader, Minority Leader, Majority Whip, Minority Whip. Why even go to this party if you're the majority whip? Then other gov- see this is mystifying. Other governors come between Senate leaders and whips and House leaders and whips. <laughs> this was all just horse trading at some oh, point, right? Incredible. You can just picture them in 1798. Like, okay. Now which order? It's going to be hard for me to close this document, but I am officially washing my hands of this document. So we're not going to do an episode on this. Well, or we, we still could. Maybe months from now. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, I just want to talk about the insane crazy pants thing where the, the Supreme Court justices will say, General Olson, make yeah. your case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? So Warren- We've got to call him something. Well, Warren Burger always said Mr. Solicitor General, and he would have said Ms. Solicitor General if he had had the- what, what he would have considered, I'm sure, the misfortune <laughs> to live at a time when there could be a lady Solicitor General. But uh, he was followed by William Rehnquist, who was famously a bit of a grammar cop- Huh. But also kind of an eccentric. Do you know the thing about Rehnquist's robes? Uh, uh-oh. He wanted, he, suddenly he just shows up one day with four yellow stripes on his sleeve. Oh, I remember that. Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, it, he looked like the dean of uh, law school. He did. And it was a tradition that he did not, he did not get it from Berger, and Roberts, his successor, did not adopt it. But in fact, it was because he did a community theater production of the Gilbert and Sullivan operetta Iolanthe, and he got to wear a costume with four sleeves, and he thought it looked bitchin'. It did look bitchin'. But can you imagine thinking, oh, yeah, so clearly I should do this as yeah. the Chief Justice of the United States. I can do whatever I want. I'm the Chief Justice of the United States. I think that's the idea. Like, who's going to tell me no? I should point out that the first female Solicitor General of the United States was Elena Kagan. Yes. Uh, and now Supreme Court Justice. Who appears in our story. Because... Elena Kagan, as Solicitor General, was asked how she wanted to be addressed, and she decided, I want to be General Kagan. 
She's the one who decided well, oh, it had been done before. So Rehnquist had been calling solicitors general, general, your general surname. He's the one that, that, uh, that invented this. Well, he didn't, he apparently did not invent it, but he popularized it as we'll see in a moment. As part of his colorful. As part, way. Yeah. As part of who's going to stop me. I think. I feel like he is not colorful in any other way because I always thought of him as a real gray man. It spread to well, I mean, if his if his idea of a fun idea if, if his idea of a fun personal quirk is to dress like he did in a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, that is kind of a as hobbies go, that's a pretty dull one. I mean, why while he was at it, why not just dress like Pinochet? Why not just have the whole epaulets and his stars? So again, let's rem, let's re- remember that the Solicitor General is not a is not a military general. It, it, they're just kind of. Uh, of the many solicitors there are, right. this one has the most general purview because the broad it's one. government-wide, yeah. So, but this habit of saying solicitor surname spread to senators addressing the attorney general, which Janet Reno always disliked. Call, being called General Reno? Yes. Uh, Clinton, apparently it went up to the president. You know, it became so ingrained in government that President Clinton would introduce her as general, or talk about her in the third hand uh, you know, General Reno, when she took out Waco, you know, and, yeah. and it, people it would just be, oh, yes, yeah, of course, she's the Attorney General. But but to be called Attorney General Reno is so much more badass. Right, Attorney General Reno. Like, Ger- General Reno, it's like, but Attorney General Reno, it's just like so, I don't know, it's got so much more heft to it, it feels like. She was succeeded by John Ashcroft, who was asked, would you like to be called... Uh, General Ashcroft, or and he was like, "Look, Mr. Ashcroft, John, General Ashcroft." He literally said, "Just don't call me late for dinner." Uh-huh. That was his quote when he was asked what the practice would be. Famously hilarious man. <laughs> Who is funnier? <laughs> Who's funnier than John Ashcroft? Remember when he gave? Remember when he made them cover up the the um, the nude statue behind him at a press conference because he didn't want there to be a penis in the room? What a nut! Uh, but as I said, when Elena Kagan became Solicitor General. Uh, under the Obama administration and later his pick for a Supreme Court justice, she really embraced General Kagan on feminist grounds. Like, hey, if a bunch of male solicitors general have been called general surname, then I'm sure not going to, I'm sure not going to set the precedent of, well, we're going to call the first, we're not going to call the, we're going to call the first woman Ms. Kagan right. or Ms. Solicitor General. Um, and Because solicitor sounds like somebody that's coming around trying to convince you to to uh, read the watchtower right but like solicitor no soliciting there's no signs that say we love soliciting yeah no attorneying there probably are signs that say that not in my neighborhood and it's gotten to the point where even in transcripts of supreme court oral arguments it will say uh general kagan or or general surname in the like as the as the you know before the colon speaking the line of dialogue, uh-huh. so that's now like the official opinion of the U.S. government is that the Solicitor General should be called General Your Name here, all because of Rehnquist. You know, our current Solicitor General is a, a woman, Elizabeth Preliger. She's a new Biden appointee. Just just appointed. She's the acting Solicitor General, right? And so I guess that must be. I always forget which positions require Senate confirmation, but apparently. Solicitor General must be Solicitor General must be one, or, yeah, well, or sh- she would not be acting. Oh, she was a law clerk to Merrick Garland, the current Attorney General. Yeah, what do you know? Everybody's all they're, they're all in bed with each other. So I've never heard. Oh, she's fluent in Russian. Now that's interesting. Yeah. See. Oh, wait. She was Miss Idaho in two thousand four. Wait, really? Whoa! This is suddenly now better than Canada <laughs> being run by a stapler throwing astronaut. 
this the uh, this new trend of calling the attorney general and solicitor general general has uh, gained has attained popular notice, and it's been defended in some quarters. Uh, Mark Lieberman, the uh, I think it's a he's a UPenn linguist who runs Language Log, has actually defended this. He says, first of all, if you go through old transcripts, he discovered that it, Rehnquist was not the first person to call an attorney general general. In fact, if you go to the back to the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925, when the attorney general of Tennessee addresses the court, the judge calls him General Stewart. Huh. Interestingly, the judge calls the other attorneys Colonel Darrow and Colonel Bryan. Uh, uh, but they have no rank. He's just like decided that this is how he's going to... Do you think it goes with kind of the on, the honorary sense that a... That a that an older gentleman of authority in the genteel South is a, is a Colonel. It might be the Kentucky Colonel thing, right? Like, I don't want to bring up a sore subject for you. Yeah. Thank you. Still, uh, still mad. Lieberman always. also points out that it's, a you know, one reason why it's okay to say general is, you know, we sniff at the improper plurals, but in fact, in British English, it's not that weird to say attorneys general because they hyphenate it. Oh, they do. Sorry. So it's not so weird for them to say attorney generals. They will sometimes say that it's not, common. It's actually 10 to 1 in one British lexicon I looked at. And in, uh, according to Brian Garner, in American usage, it's 58 to 1 in favor of attorneys general. So that's, that's hung in there pretty well. But Lieberman points out that even our military use of general, to mean a general officer, comes from, you guessed it, Norman French, or at least the <laughs> French army. The original uh, general officer were the captain's general, with a hyphen, of... Uh, the 16th century, those were borrowed by the English. And by 1576, the rank of captain general had just become general, like as a shortening. Right. So even our use of military general was an abbreviation of a official hyphen general. And by the same token, there were sergeants general, majors general, sergeants major general, for the same reason that we say attorneys general. These are the ones that oversee the whole branch. Um, there are still major generals. Yes, but they're not majors general. Right. It's they're modern major generals. <laughs> Are you going to start wearing uh, stripes on your sleeve? The uh, start. The lieutenant lieutenants general and brigadier general. Those are newer coinages. Those do not come from lieutenants general. Those were like a lieutenant or helper, placeholder to a general, and a brigadier general was a general who was also in a brigade. So those have different origins. Right. So you could make the case that, hey, look, even military general officers started out as rank hyphen general. However, in his 2002 article, Washington, Patton, Schwarzkopf, and dot, 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 Ashcroft, <laughs> law professor Michael Hertz argues that uh, this is bogus. For one thing, there are guides to protocol and etiquette of what Officers go by what titles and who you say his excellency or his honor to. And all these guides are still in force and none of them say call the attorney general or the director general of forest service general. But they didn't say that Ruth Bader Ginsburg could uh, dress like a, like a, a prairie marm either. Well, they like, didn't, they didn't specifically uh, disallow her from it. Oh, you mean the, the, the collar, the, the lace collar yeah, thing she wore? Yeah, the lace collar. Like it, it feels like at a certain point you get to just uh, do what you want. That's why I keep wondering why one of these tech CEOs doesn't buy a dirigible. <laughs> it just feels like if, if you're a billionaire, why are you not living on a dirigible? If you're the chief justice of the Supreme Court and the, the funniest thing you can think of to do is put four stripes on each of your sleeves. 
Come on, man. Like wh- how long until he, one of them wears a Burger King crown? He could be writing all his, uh, all his opinions in, uh, like, uh, what, uh, dactylic tetrameter like a dr seuss book if he wanted he could be using the interrobang he could arrive every day to work on a white horse he could write all his uh, opinions in emojis and nothing but hertz also points out to me these are like this to me this one is the nail in the coffin attorney general as a term actually predates any of the military ranks england first had an attorney general an attorney for the whole crown in 1398 and the u.s version of it uh really could not imply, a, you know, a general officer implies that he has a staff, right? A, a hierarchy. The attorney general of the United States did not even have a clerk as late as like the 1820s. Oh. Uh, as late as 1853, the U.S. attorney general had two clerks and a messenger. And so to call somebody like that a general when they have no hierarchy of, of officers beneath them seems ahistorical. It just means they're the general attorney. Yes. They're, they're an attorney over everything. Uh, he points out that if you're, we're going to do this, that means the Surgeon General would be referred to as general elders or whoever. And in fact, those are admirals. Right. The Judge Advocate General, you can't call general because uh, they have a different rank. The, the Navy one is probably an admiral, I think. Um, the Army one probably is a general, but just by coincidence. Uh, he bemoans it as a sign of title inflation within the Beltway. Where here. here. Where people will just be like, wait, wait, I have the option of being called general. So he kind of implies that it's, you know, stolen valor or narcissism. I am very against title inflation in corporate America. Because that you should just give him a raise? Well, no, my, you know, when my mom was in, uh, when my mom worked for the oil companies, there was a president and two vice presidents of Alaska Pipeline and then a bunch of managers, not even a bunch, five, six managers. And this was a very large company. Now, uh, my daughter's mother, my uh, my daughter's mother partner, works at the a DMP. works at a company of a hundred people that has a CEO, a CFO, a CTO, a CCO. They have like a chief a, creativity officer or yep. whatever tech companies have. Yeah, like like uh, seven to ten people at the C level, and then. Uh, so like many vice presidents, senior vice president, junior vice president, you know, vice, vice, vice president, and then managers. And, and it ends up, you get down to like at the manager level, some of them are managing two people. And one of them is like the senior lead. Uh, and it just feels like, what are you guys doing? This, this company should have a president and two vice presidents. And no, you don't need a CEO. Because it's not fair to, to your mom's era people? No, it just seems like... This is like a student loan shouldn't be forgiven because I didn't get it? No, it's the, <laughs> it's the, it's the top heaviness yeah. of, like, there aren't, these aren't real jobs, right? You're not actually... But if we can give ourselves real jobs, then a big chunk of us are a big self-perpetuating, well-paid... Well, sure, because a CFO, who in the case of most of these places is like the accountant or the bookkeeper. Um, when they move on to their next job, they're looking for a CFO job instead of, um, you know, and, and there are only so many of those, right? There's just this glut of, of people that are walking around with too many medals on their chest. It's, it feels like the North Korean army a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Hertz's final argument. And I agree with this as well is that it's worse than grandiose to call uh, Merrick Garland General Garland 
it also is weirdly militaristic. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, if the attorney general is the one in charge of, as he theoretically is, maintaining the rule of law over all American citizens, it's weird that he has a military title like a Paraguayan dictator, you know? Here, here. And uh, if you look at the historical record, Hertz points out, and Hertz is like a Federalist Society guy. This guy's not some wacko flaming liberal. He points out that Ari Fleischer, uh, Bush's press secretary, never called, uh, only called John, uh, John Ashcroft, General Ashcroft, once in Bush's first year of office. But in the three months following 9-11, he called him General Ashcroft 13 times. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. suddenly, th- now that this guy is in charge of enforcing the Patriot Act and... Uh, you know, defending the legality of all this kind of surveillance. Now he's General Ashcroft and we all have to salute. Right, right. That's precisely it. So I don't know if I'm speaking to futurelings in a society that has post-positive adjectives or if they have government officials that use post-positive adjectives or if any of those are ambiguous to military rank. What would yours be on this show? What are you? I'm the, like, we should be like a Ben and Jerry's or Southwest kind of company where I'm the chief officer in charge of fun or whatever. Uh-huh. You know how they always have the, I'm the chief wackiness officer. Do you think that you're the chief wackiness officer? Yeah, I'm, I'm the CWO. I, I tell everybody when it's ice cream Friday and sometimes uh, I'm the one that dresses up in the funny costume at the, at the casual office party. And which one am I? If you're the chief wackiness officer, mm-hmm. well, what's my, what's my rank? You're uh, executive uh, vice president in charge of uh, Hawaiian shirts and uh, moral dudgeon. But it, but it seems like you're higher ranking than me that's in that. A, yes, that's exactly right. Do you have any notes on that? No, sir. <laughs> and that concludes... Officials General, entry 861.mk0640, certificate number 18999 in the omnibus. <sighs> Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at Omnibus Project. Our handles work at Ken Jennings and once upon a time at John Roderick. You're still on Patreon. Uh, you can find me doing all kinds of creative work, including other podcasts and and uh, long-form writing at patreon.com slash John Roderick. But only... Is that right? Yes. Patreon.com slash John Roderick. But that's Roderick. only an option if you've already maxed out your Omnibus Project oh, yeah, contribution. Yeah, yeah. That's right. If you if you can give no more to Omnibus, if you have given already... If you've given your... the legal limit, <laughs> it's like, look up, look up your... your uh, your legal taxable income that can be donated to Omnibus. And if somehow you have leftover. If there's a, if you're just, if you came into a bunch of money, come on over to patreon.com slash John Roderick and uh, listen to the podcast I do with my sister, Road Rage. Shouldn't it be called Rod Rage? Well, it's about how mad we get at other drivers and how that reflects poorly on our character, but how we also feel like maybe it doesn't matter. But also it does. It is deeply this, matters. Is this a conceit that can sustain a podcast? <laughs> yeah, because every week she and I... You have new driving stories? Yeah, it's, she just she comes over to my house and I'm like, what happened this week? And she's like, oh, there was this guy driving in the right lane and he was, you know, had his blinker on. And she just, she, there's always something she's mad at. And she's very like, she's very chill, enlightened person. She's like a yogi. But then she be, 
uh, like other drivers just throw her into just make her insane and they do me too i mean that's why the buddha achieved enlightenment because he was never like a, a carriage driver yeah, that's right. He was he was stuck in traffic, but he was in the back. He yeah, was sitting in the car. He was reading his book. He was probably in one of those things that, that two people carry. Right, a rickshaw. That's not a rickshaw. Uh, a, a litter. They call those a litter. Sure. That's a litter, royal litter. So anyway, we talk about that. And, and then at the end, we always try and figure out, like, what can we do to be better? And then we're like, who cares? And then we say, oh, come on. And then we say, eh. it's it's a great show, really. Rod Rage, I think. Road Rage. I like that you're not making it sound better than our show. I appreciate that. No, no, no. I mean, our show, like Omnibus, is definitely what the people are listening to right now that are listening to this. But you think the next trend before, is going to be before they listen to podcasts Road Rage. about driving stories. <laughs> I'm going to do a show where my with my sibling where we just like tell each other what we dreamed last night. That'd be good, right? Why don't you? I could, right? Well, yeah, you have a you have a brother. He's I have a, a brother and two sisters. They have presumably have dreams. Maybe like me, they always see celebrities in their dreams. Um, you know, I remember one time I was at a uh, I was sitting around a swimming pool with Kristen Shaw at the Chateau Marmont. Delightful alt comedian. This was a this was a half a dozen years ago, and we were uh, we were doing a television show that never aired. We were filming a filming a pilot, and she was there because. Her husband was one of the writers on the show. We were sitting around the pool and somebody had done a gag where they put up a sign that said, it's been, you know, seven days since our last accident. And she said something, she, she, she tried to punch up the joke. And I said, uh, oh, well it's, you know, the, the joke is, and I explained the joke. And she, you know, had the like. Did you mansplain the joke? She, she, she. What? What? She believed that her joke was funnier. And. And her joke wasn't funnier, but she's a professional comedian. Yeah, maybe her judgment should be accepted as to whose joke was funnier. That was John. Ex- that was exactly the the her take. <laughs> she was like, "Well, one of us is a professional comedian." And that feels a little bit like your Rod Rage uh, <laughs> suggestion. It's a hat on a hat. Yeah. It's jo- don't joke the joke, Ken. Don't Don't joke the joke. Got it. Anyway, please do go to patreon.com slash omnibusproject and max out your donation. To support this show. To support this not really great show. That hypothetical one that John just And not pitched. the amazing Road Rage show over on my Patreon. Um, you can email us and tell us which show you like better. Uh, and I would start off by addressing it to Ken and saying that you like Omnibus better. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Uh, you can socialize with other futurelings and make up fake titles for each other and call each other chief creative officer and plenipotentiary chief wackadoodle ministers without portfolios. Uh, wherever futurelings are found. So if you just... What happens if you put futureling in the internet? Futureling. The first thing that comes up is, oh, it's our uh, futureling graphic tee and pullover hoodie on cottonbureau.com. But then the second thing is the subreddit. The subreddit, futurelings. The Facebook group does not come up. There's futureling groups on Goodreads. That's Uh, nice. Yeah, that is nice. That are... Our listeners read books. Futureling hashtag on Twitter. 
if, some more t-shirts. The funny thing is if you pluralize it, the Facebook thing is third. Really, the Facebook organizers need to optimize that for the singular, I think. Yeah, there needs to be some search engine optimization. Uh, there, that's right, because when you put future links, it's the Reddit that comes up first. Again, first two are Reddits. What is going on with Reddit? I think it just means subreddits are better indexed than right. Facebook pages. Right, there you go. Um... Also, you can mail us real life things. Uh, please don't put any living things in there or perishable items. But you can mail us things to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. What do you got in the mailbag over there, Ken? There was a very big box this week from Eric who says, For the both of you to pass the time in the bunker, I hope you enjoy assembling all these Lego into many fun shapes and structures. Say what? More Legos. There's a little... Uh, There's an airplane, float airplane. plane. But it's like a mail plane. It's a float plane and a dude with a... Oh, it's a ski plane. It's a ski plane and a dude with a... Uh, an envelope, or, yeah, a letter to deliver. That's very cool. But there's also l- one l- of these l- 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 wow. classic all-purpose little oh, chests. Oh, I love those. Why Why is he so generous to give us know. these Legos? That's so funny that we just did a sh- Like, it was a listener request to do a show about Lego, but maybe from now on we should just do shows about things we want to get in the mail. Yeah, like Krugerans. Yes. like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Next show? Certificate number one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> blank checks. Thank you. I think I'm going to end up keeping the mail plan, and you're probably going to get the cool big box because you've got uh, a younger kid. Than I have I a younger kid. Well, that's incredible. I love Legos. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Uh, he does not say Legos. He says, so many Lego. Look at all these Lego. He loves the singular Lego. Lego. The, the plural Lego that sounds like a singular. Legos general. Listeners, from our vantage point or point vantage here in your past distant point vantage we have no idea how long our civilization survived we hope and pray that the catastrophe dread that we fear may never come if the worst comes soon this recording like all our recordings maybe our word final but if providence allows we hope to be back with you soon for entry another in the omnibus 